G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to give some more attention to the rise of Islam around the world today and endeavouring to zero in on why these suicide bombings keep happening. Well, when you think this must be just a passing bad dream and soon you'll wake up, it's quite shocking to understand what the future may hold as Islam exerts its influence on the whole world. Uh, what is even more disturbing may be the thought that Sharia law may not be contained within national borders. With the news this week from Pakistan that a man has been found guilty of blasphemy and has been announced guilty on Facebook and even faces execution. Well, I wonder whether we ought to be concerned about that sort of development. I wonder what that might mean for the courage required by people to stand against a dangerous ideology of extreme Islam. Or will people cower under the pressure to conform to the will of Islam as a political ideology? Well, we're going to be seeking some insights today on this issue. You can be a part of this conversation, but our special guest over this next hour is Dr. Bernie Power, a missiologist at the Melbourne School of Theology. He's a part of the Arthur Jeffries Centre for the Study of Islam. He's a teacher by training. He holds degrees in science, education and theology and has lived most of his working life in Muslim-majority countries. His doctorate on comparative religion compares early Islamic and Christian texts. He travels to many Muslim countries in his teaching role and, of course, he is the author of a outstanding book called Understanding Jesus and Muhammad, What the Ancient Texts Say About Them. Uh, we're going to open our talkback lines. You can be part of our conversation, but uh, let me just make a special welcome to you, uh, Dr. Bernie Power. Welcome back to 2020. Great to be with you again, Neil. Bernie, this is such a interesting and important topic to talk about because, as I mentioned in an introduction, uh, we all hope this is like a bad dream and, uh, you know, in, uh, in 12 months it'll all be over and we won't have to, to face all of these suicide bombings. But uh, what are your uh, very blunt predictions for the future as to what's happening with the rise of Islam and the incidence of all these suicide bombings? Uh, certainly, look, it's got a very long history. So if you go right back to the, the time of the Prophet Muhammad, um, one time when he was in uh, Mecca, he, the leaders asked him, you know, what do you want? And he says, well, I can give you something that will enable you to conquer the whole of Arabia and subject the non-Arab world to your domination. Um, so he had a big view right from those early days. This was even when he was in Mecca before he'd moved to, to Medina. Um, and what we're seeing now is basically the living out of that vision uh, that Muhammad had, uh, that Islam would ultimately uh, ha um, have a, uh, a, a kind of a worldwide influence. There's a verse in the Quran, Allah has said, he has sent his messenger with the religion of truth, that's Islam, to make it superior or to prevail over all other religions. And so the, the people who are following this vision are basically following on what Muhammad had talked about during those very early 
very early years of Islam. So when we talk about, a, as you say, a mechanism or like a philosophy, a, a way in which uh, there can be a dominance over other religions uh, and we connect that to the suicide bombings, what's the connection there? Because I imagine that, uh, you know, when we talk about the way that terror may have happened over the past 1,400 years, it wasn't always with bombs because that technology wasn't there. H- how do you think they did that in, in years gone by? Yeah, well, it's interesting, like, suicide per se is actually forbidden in Islam, so a person is not allowed to go and kill themselves. Uh, And there are a few instances, again, we read in the Hadith about people who, after a battle, had been um, injured, and it looked like that, and they were in great pain, and they took their own lives, and Muhammad said, well, that person will go to to hell, and he would refuse to say the uh, the funeral prayer for people who'd committed suicide, even though he actually attempted suicide himself a couple of times. But suicide, uh, killing, um, being killed in the process of fighting is quite a different matter. And uh, uh, the early um, followers of Muhammad would often go into battle against uh, much greater numbers, knowing that they would be killed, and Muhammad commended them for that. Um, there was a, 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 you know, and he says, you know, that those who die in, in battle will go to the highest paradise. They'll receive the best house. Um, they'll receive a great reward. And the, and the Quran also talks about that as well. So um, that, that would have been the way that it was done in the past. You'd go into a battle against superior numbers with the expectation that you would be killed, but you were fighting for what they considered to be a noble cause. And um, the, the people will, may, may know the uh, history of the assassins. So that t- term comes from uh, a group in uh, the uh, 10th and 11th centuries who would go out to kill leaders of, of um, other groups, mostly other Muslim groups that they didn't agree with, knowing that they would not come back alive. So that, that kind of thing of giving your life uh, has been a, a part of um, kind of Islamic teaching from the very start. So, Bernie, when we make sense of people who are suicide bombers, uh, what you're saying is that suicide's forbidden in Islam, uh, but if there is a call to war, uh, then the suicide is expected. Uh, and so where does this idea of jihad fit in there? Is jihad the word? And uh, you, there might be other uh, terminologies that come into being, but uh, uh, but is it the idea that there is jihad that makes the suicide bombing okay for for Muslims to do? Is that the way it works? Yes, certainly. Suicide bombing would be, oh, uh, would be just one of the kind of, tactics of of the larger strategy of jihad and they're you know trying to live out uh uh this um uh, calling of muhammad in in the hadith he said um he said i have been made victorious with terror cast into the hearts of the enemy and so this whole idea of putting yourself out there so um suicide dying in a uh, as a suicide bomber would be one of the approaches. There'd be a whole lot of other ways of carrying out jihad as well. Um, so, you know, military operations and um, even working in the political and economic and social fields would also be ways of extending the reach of Islam. And so understanding that terminology that calls a suicide bomber a martyr, uh, they wouldn't be a martyr unless they were in jihad. Is, is that the way that That's it right. works? Yes. 
Yeah, although it's interesting, the Hadith gives a, a whole lot of categories for people that, that are classified as martyrs, um, and some of them aren't necessarily that, but that would be the highest form that, that, that would be expected, that if a person dies fighting um, in, they call it, in the way of Allah, then uh, that's going to be something that assures them entrance to paradise, so that's seen as a good thing. Well, we'll talk some more about this and wanting to invite listeners to be part of the conversation. The talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. An opportunity today if you have a question about what you're seeing in the news headlines, if you're concerned about those things, if you're wanting to know what a Christian position is uh, when it comes to a contrast between some of the things you're seeing in the headlines, well, uh, we've got a wonderful opportunity today to talk about those things. The talkback line open on one. 1-800-316-316. Let's move on to another issue which is very, very current this week, in fact, Bernie. Disturbing news out of Pakistan where a man has been handed the death sentence for allegedly making a blasphemous comment on Facebook. You've been looking at that issue. What do you think that means for Pakistan and for Australia? Mm. Well, Pakistan's got a, a pretty bad record in terms of uh, the blasphemy laws. The uh, Many people would know the story of Asia Bibi, uh, a young mother who uh, uh, was accused with blasphemy facts of being convicted and is currently in the appeal stage, but she's been held in prison uh, for five years and it was because uh, some, some of her neighbours claimed that she had insulted Muhammad and so uh, they were able to take her to court and um, she, got, she got charged with that. So it's being used commonly as a weapon against uh, um, non, well, not only non-Muslims, in fact the, the young man that's been charged with this is a Shia Muslim and in fact more Shias have been charged with blasphemy uh, um, than, than Christians or the other group called the Ahmadiyya. Uh, so it's, it's been quite, there's been dozens of cases of this in Pakistan, and they're in varying stages of um, uh, of the legal process. As far as I know, nobody has been executed yet uh, for that, but um, the death penalty has been passed on several people, and that they're held in prison for years before anything happens. Now, because Facebook has no borders, uh, because Facebook can be read all around the world at any time, what does it mean for nations beyond the borders of Pakistan? Uh, because uh, if you have an argument, and as I understand it, uh, in uh, this latest incident, uh, there was a uh, there was a, a, a uh, like an undercover counterterrorism agent for Islam who engaged in a conversation and and then uh, made the assessment that the person that he was talking to online uh, was in fact committing the sin of blasphemy against, uh, against uh, the religion of Islam. Uh, so what does that mean for people beyond the borders of Pakistan? Yeah, so it means that crime can basically, it, well, can be committed in, in any place. And uh, if Pakistan decides that this is a, uh, a, a crime that they could, um, that they should prosecute, then they could actually ask for extradition for the person uh, who, who is involved in that, as with any other crime. And you're across uh, the idea of, uh, of extradition treaties between uh, the places uh, like Pakistan and Australia? Yep, yep. 
So uh, we, we do have an extradition treaty with them as a, a fellow Commonwealth country. We've got a, uh, a, a general agreement between all the Commonwealth countries that we would extradite criminals to the other Commonwealth countries if they requested it. And Pakistan actually put in a special request as, as did China, uh, so that they, so people could be extradited to them from, uh, from Australia. Australia hasn't agreed to either of those requests as yet. But in Australian extradition treaties, we um, have a rule that we would not extradite a person uh, to a country where they're likely to face cruel or, uh, or inhumane treatment or, or to face the death penalty. So that if this person did go to uh, did come to Australia then or the crime was committed by someone in Australia Pakistani national then um, Australia would be unlikely to extradite them uh, if they were going to face the death penalty now what deepens this whole issue is that oftentimes sharia law is enforced not only by the authorities but by uh, by uh, like a mob rule that can happen uh, in any particular circumstance. So if someone is accused of and found guilty of blasphemy and uh, faces a death penalty in another nation, then uh, there is the potential for extremist elements to actually take the law into their own hands. That, I imagine, is uh, where the risk is uh, for anyone who might be found guilty of blasphemy uh, under Islam. Yes. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I mentioned before, no one's been executed by the government, but certainly people and maybe dozens have been killed by by mobs um, or by local authorities or by family uh, accused of that uh, in Pakistan and in other places. So just because the law doesn't, uh, or the law may give some legal protections, it doesn't mean that the person is safe from the community. So that's a really big issue. Okay. So while we're talking today primarily about why do these suicide bombings keep happening, uh, there are other uh, equally as disturbing issues that are going on around the world, especially when the accusation and the conviction for blasphemy can actually be made basically anywhere in the world uh, because social media is all over the world. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Asking that question, why do suicide bombings keep happening? Our special guest is Dr. Bernie Power, a missiologist at Melbourne School of Theology, a lecturer at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam. Uh, Bernie, if we talk about why are these uh, suicide bombings continuing to happen, of course there's been an evolution of the way those attacks are taking place, hasn't there? Because uh, the use of vans and trucks, uh, the use of uh, knives, uh, whatever is in the hand of someone who considers themselves, uh, I imagine a soldier of Islam, because uh, that's the that's the way in which the suicide uh, is appropriate. Uh, what are your thoughts about the way that these attacks are evolving, and uh, and the likelihood of an in, in, an increased intensity of those attacks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's certainly one of the verses in the Quran which talks about that. It says, use whatever means possible. And uh, ISIS, um, the group in Syria and Iraq, started encouraging people. They said, use anything, use a, um, a knife, even use a rock. Um, so, th- uh, And they said to use vehicles. And so we've now seen an increase in the use of these. So 
by the way, their, their material's available on the internet. You can look at their magazine, which they put out every couple of months or so, and they have these incitements to violence. And sometimes when uh, you know, people say, well, we, we don't know that this person had any link with ISIS, well, actually, all they need to do is to go onto the internet and they can find the material that's there. Um, yeah, so, so there's been a, a real kind of... A movement towards much simpler kinds of technology such as knives and cars which make it more and more difficult to be able to predict when they're going to happen. Uh, ISIS also tells people don't uh, don't let anyone know um, when you're going to do it, just do it secretly. And my guess is that there will be an increase, a kind of an explosion of these uh, attacks over um, the coming months and years. And when we talk about that process of radicalisation, uh, and people talk about uh, that taking time, uh, I've heard others who say radicalisation is just something that uh, happens instantaneously. What are your thoughts on, on what happens with radicalisation? And is all of this publicity, all about Islam, part of the process of radicalisation? Yeah, I, I think it can happen reasonably quickly. And, and we're seeing, um, particularly with some of the, uh, and it's usually young men, but there are also women that have been involved in uh, in terrorist attacks and, and in suicide attacks as well, in other places, not in the West. Uh, they've uh, been able to pick up this information, um, again, from the internet, so it's quite freely accessible. And uh, even within a couple of weeks of people talking to them they see that there's been a change in their kind of thinking their attitude their speech and uh, and then the attack happens um so it's quite frightening the speed at which these things uh, this process can take place bernie let's come back to this concept of martyrdom because before all of these suicide bombing attacks started happening and we started hearing about that word uh, martyr uh, in the context of Islam. Of course, uh, we've uh, all been aware of the idea that there have been Christian martyrs down through the centuries, Christian believers who've lost their lives because they've stood bravely for their faith in Christ. Of course, the big difference is those Christian martyrs haven't died uh, while they're trying to kill a whole lot of other people, no doubt. But uh, what are your thoughts on the difference and uh, the misunderstandings that come with that word martyrdom, because it has been something that's been part of our Christian vocabulary for a long time. Mm, yeah, and of course the, the supreme example of a martyr would be Jesus himself. He was quite aware of the dangers when he started uh, telling people that he was the Son of God and preaching the kingdom, and he predicted his death. Um, you find about 20 or so times in the Gospels, Jesus talked about he would go to Jerusalem and, and he would be crucified because this was a special case in that it was a, the fulfilment of prophecy and because of who he, um, who he is. But certainly uh, Christian martyrdom is a willingness to absorb um, the violence that's being directed against you rather than trying to enforce that violence on others, which is the, 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 quite, the big differences. For, for the early Christians, martyrdom was never something to be sought. Uh, so we see Stephen being um, stoned to death in, in Jerusalem because he'd been, um, you know, forced to or asked to kind of justify his faith. And throughout um, the, the period of the persecutions, the, for the first three centuries, the Christians were always told, don't seek after martyrdom. Um, if it comes your way and you have to testify to Christ, do that, but don't go out and look for it. So that was quite a difference. And, you know, just to deepen all of that, uh, the reason why people might even stand to the point 
of, uh, of losing their lives is because this salvation that we have in Christ is just so valuable that even our own lives are not uh, more important than standing for that faith. And that's something that you would have seen, uh, I imagine, over many years uh, working in mission roles and in other nations, uh, the strength and courage that comes upon uh, believers because they have this faith in Christ and they recognize the value of their salvation. What can you reflect on uh, with regards to that value, Bernie? Yeah, so look, if, um, we, we worked in Yemen for, for some years and... Um, I was just giving a talk the other day talking uh, about this. Uh, during that time that we've been involved, there's been about 15, 15 to 20 um, people that have been killed for their faith that we know about um, and uh, mostly been shot. Uh, some have disappeared and never been um, heard of again. And they knew that there was a danger for that if you're going to be a witness for Christ in a, in a kind of hostile environment, that it could happen. But if you um, weren't there or, and you weren't witnessing for Christ, then uh, the message would not go out. So they were willing to take that risk. And that was something that, as, as Christians living there, we faced um, as a as a kind of a daily kind of possibility for us, but because the uh, recognizing that uh, uh, the price by which we in which we've been bought is so high, and then the value of that for other people uh, is is so important, then that was a kind of a risk that people were willing to take. I should point out that from a Muslim perspective, they would say the same thing. They would say, well, look, Islam is such a, uh, um, an important message. You know, we're willing to lay our lives down, but they're also willing to take other people's lives. So there's quite a, a radical difference between those two positions. Well, inviting listeners to call on 1-800-316-316 if you have some contribution or a question you'd like to ask today. Let's take a call from Graham in Cairns in Queensland. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Yes, Graham, Hello, what yes. are your thoughts? Actually, uh, my thought is as a, a surah, I've been reading the uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine and a very interesting little uh, surah in here that... Uh, a Muslim believer, when he was eight years old, from a very prominent family, um, Surah number ten ninety four says, and this was uh, to Muhammad. It seems to uh, reveal the uh, divinity of uh, Jesus and that he is the final truth in matters. And I'd like his opinion on this uh, Surah ten ninety four. So, if you are in doubt, O Muhammad, about that which we have revealed to you then ask those who have been reading the scripture before you. The truth has certainly come to you from your Lord, so never be among the doubters. Now, this confused the young kid, and he asked the imam to explain it to him, and the imam told him that it wasn't important, you don't need to know the meaning. And that was the end of the story, and it brought more confusion into the young fellow's life. But Good contribution, Graham. Let's get a thought yeah, from, yeah. Uh, from Bernie Power. Yeah, yeah. So I often use this verse. It's a, it's a great one. The context of it was Muhammad, <clears throat> as he's receiving these revelations from from Allah, um, he's starting to be a bit un uncertain about it. There's a fair bit of public uh, opposition to the things that he's saying, and so he then receives this revelation. Well, if you have doubt about these things, then go and um, talk to those who've been reading the book. 
before you. And he knew that the Jews and the Christians had their holy books, the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, and the Injil, the, the New Testament. And so um, he was told to go and confirm uh, his teachings with, with them. Well, actually, when he tried to do that, the response wasn't um, very positive in that the, the Jews and the Christians didn't accept him as a prophet. And uh, so he then turned against them, whereas early on he was really quite... Um, keen and quite positive and quite open towards them. Later on we see, and it comes out in the teaching of the Quran, that um, there's a turning against the Christians and the Jews. So there are some uh, verses in the Quran that are very positive about Christians and Jews, such as this one, and they come from the earlier period, but the ones that come on later um, are much more negative and derogatory towards Christians and Jews. And uh, while we've got Graham, Graham, you had something more to say? Uh, please, Ruth, uh, very briefly, I also heard that uh, Muhammad, when he was trying to first appease the Israelis, uh, the Jewish people, that he was uh, bowing towards Jerusalem. And when they sort of just laughed at this, this guy, you know, d- uh, disregarded him, that he started bowing towards Mecca. I don't know if... Uh, you can comment on that. Yes, certainly, and that's true. So when he, he moved from uh, Mecca to Medina in 622 AD, so he was by this time 52, 53 years of age and had always been praying towards uh, Mecca, towards the Kaaba, which had had 360 idols in it. So it was a kind of become a pagan shrine. And so when he got to Medina, which had a significant Jewish community, he then started facing towards Jerusalem to pray which is what the Jews did. Uh, But after about 18 months when the Jews rejected him and they they mocked him and told him that he didn't know what he was talking about and opposed him, he then um, received a revelation where he turned 180 degrees from Mecca facing back, sorry, from facing Jerusalem back towards facing Mecca. And uh, Bernie Power is our special guest this hour. Bernie, let's continue to take a question or two. Uh, let's hear from Robin in Cabramatta in Sydney. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Oh, hello. <clears throat> Robin, what are your thoughts today? Well, I believe <clears throat> that it's happening around the world. It's happening in Western countries like France and England, and we <clears throat> wouldn't be surprised here if some, at some point because the church, Christians do not stand up. To Islam, they don't. They're not outspoken about their faith sufficiently. Uh, they don't pray. How much? You know, there's only isolated groups like the um, Australian Prayer Network. But as far as individual churches really praying, the Koreans they pray at five o'clock in the morning. The Korean church here in Sydney, which is at Greenacre, they they're praying all the time because they know they've experienced. Um, persecution and they're concerned about their country there in in Korea, North Korea. Robin, important points you're making there. Let's get a response from Dr. Bernie Power. Bernie, your thoughts on what Robin's sharing? Yeah, certainly. Um, the first point about not uh, Christians not standing up, and I think that's a really important thing. Often it's because they uh, uh, don't know enough about Islam, uh, and so they maybe need to do some um, some more training, and we offer courses like that at, at MST. Sometimes it's because they're a bit fearful about what might happen to them if they do, and uh, Islam has kind of uh, presented itself as a, a pretty fearsome kind of 
entity and so people will happily make jokes about all other religions but not about Islam because they've seen some of the consequences of that. But also the whole question of prayer is a really important one that we believe that God works um, through the through the prayers of his people and uh, it's really good to uh, uh, work with Koreans. We, we work with them in uh, several of the countries that we lived in overseas and they are people who are really committed to prayer. So I really um, yeah, endorse your um, call for, for more prayer, particularly for Muslim people, that God would move in their hearts and, and begin to change them. Robin from Cabramatta in Sydney, great input today, a call for Christian believers to be serious about prayer. Uh, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join our conversation, let's hear from Daniel in WA. Hello, Daniel. Welcome along. Hi. Um, I'm just I'm ringing to wonder if um, suicide bombers, um, if there's any demonic influence that has uh, plays a role in the suicide bombers around the world. Okay, good question. Uh, Bernie Power, that's one I guess that some people might be afraid to answer. Uh, here's a test for you. <laughs> Right, yeah, not not at all afraid to answer that one. Yeah, certainly. You know, one of the things that Satan is—he's a father of lies, but he's also the the one who is the father of death. Um, and for him, it's always been the process of trying to deceive people into doing things which would uh, bring death and destruction. And that's exactly what we see with suicide bombers. They, they've been deceived into thinking uh, that they, they will receive, you know, the highest places in paradise, the best homes. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of other things that the... Uh, um, in um, the Hadith and whatever, talking about it, Muhammad says, you know, um, if I'd had the choice, I would have loved to have been martyred in, in Allah's cause and then made alive and martyred in, and then made alive again and martyred again in his cause. So Muhammad thought that being martyred was kind of the ultimate thing. Uh, and so people have been deceived into thinking that. And, and that, come, that idea comes straight out of the depths of hell, that people can uh, get into heaven by killing other people. That's, uh, I think that's really, uh, yeah, from a demonic source. I don't have any doubt about that. And I'm also wondering if Barack Obama has increased relig- uh, tolerance of Islam around the world through his influence on world leaders, his political views. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So he, um, because he grew up as a, as a Muslim, and uh, his middle name was Hussein, and his father was a Muslim, and he um, has said that he became a Christian, you know, when he was in his 20s. I was interested that when he first went to Cairo, his first overseas trip, he went there, and um, standing there in front of a big group, he, he declared himself to be a Christian. But certainly that's not what we saw um, throughout his uh, presidency he rarely attended church um and um you know he often was more involved with um kind of islamic causes than than christian ones he didn't uh support christians in in any way um and i think uh, muslims took great heart from the fact that they saw him as someone who was uh, at least sympathetic towards their their views and and often supporting them, he put a a larger number of Muslims in higher positions and uh, and I, I think uh, Donald Trump has you know in the 
uh, now reversing a lot of those kinds of policies in the way that the ways that he's doing things. Thank you to Daniel from WA. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might have a burning question you've always wanted to ask. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Had a call from Michael who couldn't stay on the phone, but uh, reflects something uh, which. I think uh, has uh, a good focus on the contrast between our Christian faith and Islam. Uh, he writes, if somebody studies the Quran, would he be a peaceful or become a terrorist? Uh, everybody talking about somebody being radicalized, but as Christians who study the Bible more become like Jesus, who's loving and caring, wouldn't somebody who studies the Quran become more like Muhammad, who was a warlord? Uh, your thoughts on some of those sentiments, Bernie? Yeah, yep. And part of the problem with the Quran is that it's really it's two books. So you have the uh, the Medinan verses, uh, sorry, the Meccan verses from the time when Muhammad um, was living there up until age fifty-two, when he was reasonably peaceful. So we didn't see any overt calls to violence, and he didn't get in, involved in any. Although that one I mentioned before about the promise to the leaders of Mecca that if they followed him, that he'd give them uh, rule over all of the Arab nations and other other non uh, the non-Arab nations as well. But when he moved to Medina, he then became a warlord. And we see, on, I've counted about 412 verses, which either describe, um, incite or command violence. Uh, and if you read, depending on which parts of, of the Quran you read, but it's not in chronological order, it's all mixed up, then you will come out with a more or less violent kind of Islam. Fortunately, most Muslims around the world don't pick up all the violent stuff. Um, my, my next door neighbours are Muslim, um, and they're not carrying out those commands. But what we're seeing with the ones who are radicalised are the ones who then read the Quran in full and then put it uh, teaching into practice, uh, and that's why we're seeing the uh, the violence that comes out of that. Um, the, the yeah, just a comment on yeah, people following Jesus. Uh, you know, his example was you know I lay down my life for others, uh, not you know I take others' lives from them. Uh, so that was really quite. Uh, quite different. Okay, well, thank you so much uh, to uh, that uh, Michael who uh, called through with that question. Let's continue to take some calls. Uh, Chris is in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Good day, Neil. Uh, Bernie, yeah, I, I think the uh, Western Christianity in general have been very negligent in not robbing these uh, terrorists from of the power of the word martyr. Uh, I think we should just condemn them as murderers and suicide bombers and and keep going back to the fact that the uh, 21 Libyans are the true martyrs. Um, they gave up their life, uh, you know, um, willingly. They did not take life or, or commit suicide. They, they, they gave up their life for their faith. They didn't, you know, take life. Uh, Bernie Power? Yeah, yeah, and um, I, and I think you're right. We need to just say, well, these people aren't martyrs, they're murderers. Part of the problem is that within the... Um, and with, again, that the Muslim community is not of one voice with this. You know, many Muslims are just horrified to see the things that are happening in the, in the name of their religion, but others are encouraging to do that. And again, in some of the countries that we live, they rename streets in the names of martyrs, so people who um, you know, been suicide bombers, and you can go on the internet and see uh, Palestinian mothers... Um, uh, 
praising their sons and daughters who've gone out and uh, been killed in the process of attempting to kill other people. So you find that stream within within Islam, but it's not it's not consistent. It's not one hundred percent. But we need to just you know constantly talk about you know how abhorrent uh, this whole practice is to, um, to to seek to take the life of other people. Um, for your, basically for your own personal benefit, which is what those suicide bombers are doing. Chris from Victoria, thanks for your input today. And just before we take another call, Bernie, the idea of the support that comes around the families of those who are martyred for Islam uh, seems to be quite significant because I've heard of uh, you know millions of dollars being funneled through to families almost as a financial recompense for losing a son uh, for someone who has uh, who's been a suicide bomber or lost their life in the cause of jihad uh, this sort of thing obviously reinforces too to families that uh, that having a, a suicide bomber or a a martyr uh, is not such a bad thing yes and um, the, the idea of uh, financial remuneration to the families of martyrs has been practiced uh, several different people were doing it Saddam Hussein was doing it Colonel Gaddafi uh, was doing it um, within the Palestinian Authority we find um, um, payments towards uh, families that have lost a, uh, a member you know they would say fighting for the resistance but that, that would mean uh, uh, could be involved in, in suicide bombing so the that, that's, that's a concern that needs to be talked about. And, in fact, Donald Trump raised that when he was um, uh, in um, Israel and Palestine recently. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Russell is in Slacks Creek in Queensland. Hello, Russell. Welcome along. Are you with us, Russell? Uh, Russell, you might like to call us back at 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Uh, when we talk about radicalisation, Bernie, uh, radicalisation, I would imagine, starts very young, uh, particularly where there are children of uh, families who are Islamic and uh, doing all the regular things they might do, attending the mosque and whatever. Uh, they're learning all of these things from a very young age. What's the risk for children in families where there is a, a real religiousness about them? Hmm. It's interesting. We're finding often that the, uh, the, the people who are involved in radical acts come out of families that weren't necessarily radical themselves. Uh, so um, often the, uh, the family might come and settle in Australia and be really quite grateful that uh, they've been able to uh, live here and they've got a safe place to live. But their children grow up with a sense of... Um, uh, disconnection and often the radicalization happens to them through school friends or through uni friends or work friends or or through the internet and the family may uh, may not necessarily be involved in that process in fact may be quite quite opposed to it but in other cases that it does happen and again you know if you look at um, some of the teaching that's done in in uh, places like um, the Gaza Strip and um, these areas the, the uh, programs that they run for the kids really radicalize them uh, and seek to um, try and turn them against anything that is un-Islamic so uh, that that does happen as well. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 
Our special guest is Dr. Bernie Power, missiologist at Melbourne School of Theology, a lecturer with the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam. Uh, we're talking about some very important issues this hour. Why do suicide bombings keep happening? Uh, Bernie, if we're talking about uh, this particular time of year, uh, the month of Ramadan, it's a deepening spiritual time for Muslims, but also a spike in the number of terror attacks and people killed. Uh, since the start of Ramadan, uh, I know that there's been more than a 1,000 people killed uh, in terror attacks around the world. Is this a time that Christians ought to be mindful of? I know there are a lot of prayer campaigns and things that happen around Ramadan. What are your thoughts on this time of the year? Yeah, certainly uh, Ramadan is a special month um, for Muslims. They believe it was a month in which... Uh, um, Muhammad received his first revelation, and uh, so they they have this month, <coughs> excuse me, um, fasting and and praying, which was actually a pre-Islamic thing. The um, the pagans of Mecca used to do it before um, before Muhammad um, started preaching Islam. It wasn't a new thing, but for Muslims, it's got very. Uh, they see it as a very spiritually powerful month and they're encouraged to become more fervent in their faith and that includes involvement in um, in jihad um, and so you'll see groups like ISIS encouraging people to carry out more attacks in uh, in uh, Ramadan which is what we've seen this year and it has been the case for the last uh, couple of years at least um, so we would expect that that to be the case that we'd have a, a, a spike in uh, in deaths resulting because of Ramadan, and and of course I'm not sure of the actual dates when it's due to end, but I believe in previous years at the end of Ramadan the the attacks increase again exponentially. Is that is that typically the case? Yeah, so it's typically the last ten days of Ramadan, uh, and it's hard to predict that because uh, nobody knows when it's going to end. It's uh, based on a sighting of the moon and that won't be declared until the day beforehand. So um, the Grand Mufti or uh, the um, um, Council of um, um, Imams will declare, you know, on so-and-so it's going to be the last day, but they can only do that uh, like the day before officially. Uh, Yeah, but that last 10 days is a time when we see a real increase in in fervour and activity from from the Muslim community. Just a minute or two remaining for our conversation. Uh, To draw some attention to your book, Understanding Jesus and Muhammad, what the ancient texts say about them, I note there's one little comment uh, that says, in light of the current tensions that exist in the world, the future of civilization may well depend on how humanity responds to Jesus and Muhammad. Uh, really is a stark choice here and something that in a secular nation uh, people tend not to be worried too much about. But that's the truth, isn't it, Bernie Power? certainly is. And, and some people will say, oh, well, look, all religions are the same, uh, but that's from people who don't really understand any religion. And, uh, you know, the, the vision that Muhammad had of, of how the world would be is quite uh, markedly different from Jesus' perspective on, on the world. He talks about a, a kingdom that's based on love and forgiveness uh, and, uh, and, and sacrifice uh, people willing to lay down their lives for others. In Muhammad, we don't find that. Um, we find increasingly, as he went on in his life, becoming more and more um, involved in violent acts and encouraging other people to do that. 
I might just finish off with a, a good news story. Sure. Um, the, one of the uh, positive things that's come out of this spate of um, suicide bombings is it's causing some people to question, some Muslims to question Islam. And I was in Jordan earlier this year working with uh, people who'd come across from Syria, and they were quite disenchanted. They said, well, look, um, Islam has brought nothing good uh, to our nation. Uh, this is Muslims fighting Muslims in the name of Islam, and we're homeless and um, our lives have been destroyed by this. And that's made them much more open to the good news of Jesus. And so we're actually seeing that as being a, a kind of a, uh, um, an unexpected byproduct of this whole spate of uh, suicide attacks that people are, are now questioning Islam and, and looking for more peaceful ways to, to live out their lives. And Jesus offers that to them. And ought to be an encouragement to Christian believers and especially to those who are prayer warriors to be praying through these circumstances and appreciate that caller who called earlier talking about the seriousness by which we take the call to prayer as Christians. Well, time has run out. Bernie Power, you did mention the the organization that is part of Melbourne School of Theology, the Arthur Jeffrey Center for the Study of Islam. There are courses there where you can get an intense understanding. And I'll give a website for people who might like to inquire further. The Melbourne School of Theology website, mst.edu.au. So MST, simple to remember, Melbourne School of Theology, mst.edu.au. And uh, Bernie Power, just great getting your insights as usual. And no doubt we'll be having another opportunity to talk again sometime soon. Uh, Dr. Bernie Power, missiologist at Melbourne School of Theology, lecturer at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam. Bernie, thanks for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.